The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. The word of the Lord says this, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy in all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good this is the word of the Lord and I pray you receive it as such you may be seated One of the things that I love most about being back in Kentucky is that I get to see my nieces and my little nephew on a semi-regular basis. And by semi-regular, I mean about every three or four weeks, I get to see these dear children. And what is so interesting when they are at that young age is that just in, in a three or four week time span, it is incredible to see the change that takes place in their lives. Like physically they change, and then their new skills and abilities. Like it's pretty phenomenal when children are young how quickly they develop. And that is the sign, one of the signs, of a healthy child. We like to, to see children developing physically and, and their abilities. That's a sign of health. Well, it's really no different in our spiritual lives. The sign, one of the signs of a healthy Christian is continual growth. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. We're in a series where we're moving verse by verse through the book of 1 Peter. This is a letter written by the Apostle Peter to first century Christians who are scattered throughout these Roman provinces in northern Asia Minor. This would be modern day Turkey. And these Christians are feeling what it means to be in the world, but not of the world. Here's what's happening. They feel like they are misfits. Have you ever felt like a misfit before? They are citizens of heaven, yet they live in these really pagan communities. And I think this is such a relevant letter and book of the Bible, uh, considering what the, the culture kind of we live in today. And there are frustrations and troubles that these Christians are experiencing because they are, in fact, different than the majority of people in those Roman provinces. So, for one, and this is the main issue that they're dealing with, they're, they're experiencing great persecution because of their faith. And most of us probably know persecution on some level but not to the extent yet of what they're experiencing. And Peter's writing to encourage them in their suffering. Another issue they're facing is that they're finding it hard to walk in holiness when they live in really immoral communities. Have you experienced this? Like it's difficult to walk in ways that line up with the Scriptures when you live and you work around really, really immoral, secular people. 
third issue is that it's really hard to be loving in a really hateful world. How many realize that today there's a lot of hate going around, isn't there? And if we're not careful, those attitudes of, of dislike and malice and all of these different uh, attitudes that come out of a heart of bitterness can come upon us. It can creep into the church. Peter writes to remind those believers and us that though your communities are different than you, you've still got to walk in holiness and you've got to walk in love even in a very secular world. In our text today, we see another challenge. And it's this, that living in an extremely secular culture can frustrate spiritual growth. Like it is hard to grow spiritually when you live in a really secular community. And by the way, spiritual growth is necessary for Christians. Like it's not an option just to get saved and kind of sit there and stay there and, and be like a spiritual baby the rest of your life. That's not an option. As a matter of fact, one of the marks of a real follower of Jesus is regular spiritual growth. We call this the process, a churchy word, the process of sanctification. Okay, to be sanctified, the word sanctification simply means the, it's the process of becoming more like Jesus. And how many know every day as Christians we ought to look a little bit more like Jesus? Now, to be sure, this is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit is working in us to cause spiritual growth. Our job, though, is to submit to the Spirit. Paul would say to walk by the Spirit, to obey the Holy Spirit, to walk in a way that lines up with Scripture. So here's how I like to say it. We work out what God is working in. All right? Now, here's the tension that I feel in my own life. I want to grow spiritually. How many are with me? Do you want me to grow spiritually or do you want to grow spiritually? Right. I didn't phrase that well, all right? So, uh, yeah, so we all want to grow spiritually, but here's the tension in my own life. It's this. I find it, and I'm a preacher, I find it difficult at times to grow spiritually in the culture in which we live. It's tough. It's not easy. Let me ask you a question. How much spiritual growth have you seen in your own life in the past year? If you've been a Christian for longer than a year, how much spiritual growth have you seen? Let me ask you some real pointed questions to use as kind of a gauge. Are you hungrier today for the Word of God than you were one year ago? It's quiet. Are you more satisfied in Jesus today than you were a year ago? Let me ask you this one. Is the fruit of the Spirit more evident in your life than it was one year ago? If you're not sure, poke the person next to you and they'll likely tell you. Do you have more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Do those words describe you more this year than perhaps last year at this time? See, spiritual growth can be challenging in a post-Christian culture like ours. But we're not the first generation to struggle with this. This is why 1 Peter is such an encouraging book of the Bible to us. And in these first three verses, I want to point out 
three principles for spiritual growth. Now, I'm going to mess some of you all up. You ready for this? I'm actually going to begin in verse 3, then move to verse 1, and then move to verse 2, which I realize if you're like me, it's a nightmare for you if you're OCD. Is this going to mess with anybody this morning? Raise your hand. All right. I'm sorry. All right. But I had to do this. Here's why. I'm starting there because of the words in verse 3, if indeed. Look at that verse with me. Peter writes, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And here's why this is important to start here. The sum of truth in these three verses is predicated upon the clause of verse 3. If verse 3 is true, then you can do verses 1 and 2. All right? So here's where we're going to start this morning. If we're going to grow spiritually in the midst of a secular culture, number one, we've got to remember God's goodness. If you're taking notes, write that down. Remember God's goodness. I want you to remember that the audience to whom Peter is writing has gotten so wrapped up in the negativity, in their suffering, that consequently they have forgotten how satisfying Jesus Christ is. Have you ever been there? Have you been, ever been so overtaken with what's going, what you perceive as wrong in your life that you actually fail to remember God's goodness? And so Peter has in mind here, surely, Psalm 34, verse 8, that says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Has anybody tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Come on, talk back to me this morning. It helps me preach. Real followers of Jesus have done this very thing. They've tasted of the mercies of God. They've taken the cup of salvation. They have experienced the beauty of the gospel and the wonder of being brought into the family of God. Does that describe you? Peter is calling them, these believers and us, to remember how satisfying Jesus Christ is. It just changes the way we think. It changes our attitude. Two weekends ago, I had a good pastor friend of mine here from Colorado, Britton Cottrell. Many of you weren't here because of the weather, but he came and he preached for me that morning. And what you may not know is that our goal, we're, we're trying to be Jehovah Sneaky here, and our goal is to actually get Britton and his family to move here to Kentucky. They would make just a tremendous, uh, they'd be tremendous assets to our team. They'd make a tremendous addition to our staff. And so we want them in Kentucky, right? So here's what we did. We invited them to taste and see that Kentucky is good. And by taste and see that Kentucky is good, I mean that quite literally. Like on the way home from the airport, we stopped by the Windy Corner in Lexington. How many have ever eaten there? I'm preaching right now. Come on. We got them a Kentucky po' boy. This is just bread with a lot of stuff on it, a lot of stuff that's fried and unhealthy, all right? We went from there right to my house where we had Grippo's L8s and beer cheese. Come on, I'm preaching. We, we're hooking them, right? And so that evening, we go to Ramsey's in Lexington. And Britain gets to try his first, you know, the, the famous or perhaps the infamous Kentucky hot brown, right? I mean, just in Ramsey's, I mean, it is loaded with cheese. You can't even see anything but cheese. And then under that is a lot of good stuff. Come on. Not the most healthy uh, treat, but right, but it's, it's good. 
He liked it so much that the next morning, he and his friends went to Wild Eggs in Lexington. And he got some kind of hot brown omelet. I don't even know what that is. but hey, So here's the, here's the goal. Now that they're back in Colorado, here's our hope that they will, oh, remember how good Kentucky really is, right? And that they'll eventually make this their home. So you pray that way. Britain might be watching online right now. So uh, I, Listen, I know how extremely frustrating life can be. And it is so easy, isn't it, to get bogged down with all the negative garbage that we're fed every day. When we look at the increasing immorality around us, I mean, this country used to seem to have Christian values. It certainly doesn't anymore, by and large. In the midst of this, the troubles and the darkness, you know what the enemy would love for us to do? He would love for us to hang our heads and go, you know what? There's just no use. I, you know, I'm just throwing in the towel. It's, I'm just not going to grow. You know, I, it looks like we're defeated. Nothing's going to ever change and just kind of be despondent and down and out. But you know what? The greatest thing we can do in times like this is to stand together and remember, even in the midst of tribulation, how good our Lord is. I love that we sang that song, uh, Jesus, there's no one like you. Because he is truly, even in the midst of tribulation and struggle and a very uh, post-Christian culture, he is still enough. We have all that we need to have joy, peace, and hope. We have, if we have Christ, we have more than enough. And as we think about the goodness of God, if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, think on these things. If we'll do that, it will spur us on to spiritual growth. So number one, we've got to remember the goodness of God. Number two, if we're going to grow spiritually, we've got to refuse the world's ways. Look at verse one. So put away all malice in all deceit, in all hypocrisy and envy and slander. Now the Bible especially in the New Testament, often tells us to put off certain things and to put on certain attitudes and habits. You can think of it like garments, like uh, changing of clothes. You're, it's, it's like put off the, the, the clothes that smell and, and, and are uh, you know, raggedy and put on the new garments. Ephesians 4, 25 through 31 is a great example of this. Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, says this, Having put away falsehood, so not speaking the truth, put off lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Put off lying, put on truth telling. That's a good thing for Christians to do, amen? For we are members one of another. Be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Now look at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal. That's what you put off. I think that's a good thing for Christians uh, to, to refrain from, right? Like, don't, don't steal, okay? If you don't get anything else this morning, just leave knowing, hey, I probably shouldn't take things that don't belong to me, all right? You're growing spiritually, I can tell. You didn't know that when you walked in. But rather, let him labor. So this is the put on, putting on, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share 
with anyone in need. This is the beauty of the gospel. It takes someone who, who used to, to steal from people and makes that man or woman someone who gives now to others. That's the, the transforming power of the gospel. Isn't that glorious? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. So put off this kind of foul, foul language that speaks ill of other people. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up. So put on encouraging language as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here's another one. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Take those things off along with malice. And here's what we put on. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So as Christians, there are some life-destroying habits and desires that need to be done away with. And there are some habits and some attitudes and desires that need to be brought on, that need to be practiced. And here's the idea in this verse. As we think about tasting that the Lord is good, and we think about uh, longing, as it verse 3 says, or verse 2, for spiritual milk, this first verse serves as a warning not to spoil our appetite. Now, if you have children you probably preach the same message that I preach to my kids. Do not eat junk food before dinner because you will ruin your what? You'll ruin your appetite. And you're not going to want that scrumptious, healthy meal that your mother cooked for you because you're filled up on this garbage, right? I don't want my kids to eat junk food anytime, but especially before dinner. And it's the same way with our spiritual life. The same principle applies. If we want to long for and we want to have an appetite for the things of God, friends, we cannot fill up on the world's junk food. Are you with me? We can't live like the world and expect to desire the things of God. It just doesn't work. So you know what will stunt your spiritual growth? It's what he just says here, verse 1. When you have malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, you will not be hungry for the things of God. It just won't happen. Let me just break down these words real quick. We don't use the word malice often, but it simply means ill will. And this has no place in the life of a Christian. Christ, it's interesting, even in the final moments of his life when he's been betrayed and, and, and beaten and, and he's... He's, he's giving his life for the very people who oppose him. It's so interesting that there's not an ounce of bitterness in his heart. And he says these words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. May we have this kind of attitude towards other people. Malice is an attitude that begins in the heart. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And here's how it shows itself amongst church people. It comes out in a complaining, negative spirit. Do you know anybody like that? Are you sitting next to somebody like that? You laugh because it's true. All right? It shows itself in people who are fault-finding, negative, critical people. That's malice. And they want the worst for people. 
That does not work for Christians. I don't care what the other person has done to you. It's not Christ-like to not want the best for others. You're even to love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully harm you. We need to stay away from malice. It will ruin our spiritual appetite. Number two, he talks about deceit. The Greek word in English transliterated form is the word dolos, and it refers to baiting a hook. Peter, being a fisherman, would understand this. When you fish, Nick Step, you are deceiving the fish. That's the whole goal. You are making a tool of destruction, namely the hook, look like a delightful meal. And what would you do if we did that to you in the candy jar on the way in? You wouldn't like it, right? And the whole point is for you to deceive the fish, to make that fish think it's getting a meal so you can hook it and make that fish your meal. All right? It's deceit. And that's what Peter's getting at here. And this actually happens in the church, if you can believe it or not. Deceit is when you are untruthful with other people in order to get your own way. You're hooking them. You're making them think something that's not true is true. You deceive them. It's to be cunning. It shows itself out in manipulation so you can get your position or your way or, or, or your preference, whatever it is. And it will absolutely crush spiritual growth. Number three, we all know this one, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is acting like something that we are simply not. It's acting more spiritual or, more, uh, or smarter than we actually really are. Spurgeon said this, a great preacher, he said, Hypocrisy, like all other sins, lurks in man till the very last. In other words, this is a constant temptation. Watch this. But a believer hates to pretend to be what he is not. True Christian hates hypocrisy. It's interesting that studies show that one of the main reasons that secular people want nothing to do with our faith is because they see us as a bunch of hypocrites. And I realize that, that we're all hypocritical in, in some way. None of us walk this life perfectly. But... Generally, there's not a big difference in the way uh, Western Christians today, there's not a difference in the way they're living than the general population. There's not a big enough difference in the way we're living and worldly people are living, and they're noticing and they're saying, why would I, wanna, why would I want that? It's no different than what I have now. Isn't that interesting? We need to be careful because it'll stunt our spiritual growth and it will turn away other people from wanting what we're supposed to be giving them, namely Christ. Number four, he lists envy. Envy, this is crazy that this exists in the church, but it certainly does. Envy is a feeling of discontent when others prosper. This blows my mind. If someone in the church gets blessed, there are those who simply cannot take it. Why didn't God bless me? I mean, I've been going to church longer than them and this and this and this and this. Why did they get that position? Why did they get recognized? And on and on and on. That attitude is not congruent with the Scriptures. It just doesn't work. If your life has been changed by the gospel, if you're walking out the implications of the gospel, friends, that way of thinking does not fit. 
when you realize that you are a, a, a sinner saved by grace, that you don't deserve anything, that Christ has given you more than you ever could ask, think, or imagine, that he hasn't dealt with you according to your sins, but according to his great mercy. You can't possibly be upset when, if, if you believe that. You cannot possibly be upset when someone else gets blessed. You'll rejoice. You won't sit back and say, woe is me. Why didn't this, you know, why didn't I get this? And, or, you won't do it. You'll be able to rejoice because of what the gospel has done in your life. And this kind of envy, it will crush you. It will crush you. It will rob you of your joy. It'll crush you. Finally, he goes on to talk about slander. Slander means to talk down to someone. This is very easy to fall into, isn't it? It's backbiting and gossip. And in the church, we just disguise those words as, I just have concern, right? I just have concern, and then you just start gossiping about somebody. I just want to share my concern. I just have such a burden. You're just spiritualizing the devil. That's all you're doing, right? You're trying to make your sin okay by packaging it different. Slander will ruin your spiritual growth. Here's what I want you to see with all of these things. When you forget the goodness of the Lord, you're, you're going to start to be hungry. Let me just share kind of my own, a story from my own life with you. Like I want to eat healthy. I really do. I know by all I've talked about today, you would question that. Beer cheese, Grippos, L8s. But really, that's my goal. It's really, to be fair, guys, it's really hard here. All right? It's really difficult to be a healthy person in Kentucky. I'm just saying. All right? But here's the deal. I often take snacks with me when I'm going to be out for a long time during the day. So almonds and fruit and these kind of, how many do that, right? You're like Twinkies and, yeah, I, I get it, right? So, um, yeah, so I take this kind of snack pack, right? It's really, really awesome. But here's the thing. If I take that snack pack, like, I'm good. I'm not probably going to go through a drive through that day or whatever. But if I forget it and I get hungry enough and I get hangry, come on, anybody hangry this morning? Yeah, I can tell. All right? So, yeah, so you, you, you get a little hangry, right? I will eat anything in sight. I'll eat anything in sight. And so it's kind of like this spiritually. If you don't feed on the things of God, if you don't remember the goodness of the Lord, you'll be hungry and you'll try to satisfy your heart with the things of the world and you'll fill up on junk food. And here's what will happen. It will ruin your appetite for the main course. And here is the main course. It's number three. If you want to grow spiritually, this is what all of this leads up to. We must relish God's word. So we've got to remember how good God is, right? But we've got to relish in his word. Relish in his word. Verse two, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. That's what we want to do, right? We want to grow up as to be mature Christians. And to do so, you've got to drink. You've got to have the right nutrients. You've got to drink the spiritual milk. 
And let me ask you a question this morning. Put your thinking caps on. You ready for this? Look at me. All right, ready? Here we go. What do the following celebrities all have in common? You ready? Steven Tyler, the band Hanson, Alex Trebek, Angelina Jolie, David Beckham, Martha Stewart, Dennis Rodman, Susan Sarandon, and Britney Spears. Anybody know that wasn't here early service? These stars all wore their milk mustaches proudly in the famous 20-year-long campaign, Got Milk. How many remember those commercials and ads? According to an article published last year in a magazine called Fast Company, the success of the Got Milk campaign remains absolutely unmatched in the ad world. And the point of these advertisements was to bring back up milk sales and to raise people's affections for milk, right? So that they would in turn buy more milk. And I didn't come here this morning to convince you to drink milk. Whole milk, 2%, skim milk, whatever. That's not the point. But the Apostle Peter in these verses encourages Christians to long for what he calls pure spiritual milk. What is this pure spiritual milk? Well, in verses, verse 1 of this chapter, Peter begins with the word so. Or you could say therefore. Some translations say, which means that this is not a new thought in chapter two, but Peter is building on his previous line of thinking. And in the preceding verses, Peter is talking about the word of God. In chapter one, in verse 23, he says, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Verse 25, the word of the Lord remains forever. And the word here in in these passages refers to the gospel and then more broadly the whole of written scripture. And now Peter continues in chapter 2 to build on this same line of thinking. Verse 2, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk. That is the word. Long for the word that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now, I want you to notice something here. It is not, Peter is not just imploring us to drink spiritual milk. He doesn't just say, read your Bible. Secular people can just read the Bible. It's not what he says. He says, Long for the pure spiritual milk. Desire it. Love it. Long for it. Friends, the Word of God is key to spiritual growth. Not just knowing it, not just reading it, but longing for it, uh, savoring it, consuming it day by day, having a passion for it, and by the way, walking in obedience to it. And it's alarming to me to consider the number of Christians, self-proclaimed Christians, who do not have any desire whatsoever for the Word of God. I don't understand it. They're saying today that you can't preach expository like I preach because people will get bored. Are you kidding me? 
if I have to entertain you, like, I, I don't know what to do with you. Like, if the Word of God is not enough for you, I'm at a loss. If you're bored by the Creator of heaven and earth's words, I don't know what to do with you. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. This Scripture, it's breathed out by God, and you don't have time for it? Are you kidding me? I talk to people all the time, and they say to me, Preacher, I just don't have time. Like, I want to read the Bible, but I just don't have time. You're a liar. Don't kid yourself. You may think it yourself. You make time for what is important to you. Listen, I remember back when I was, you know, in high school and and, and a a young man. And listen, when I wanted to spend time with my wife, I would find time to spend time with my wife. We we make time for the things that, by the way, that didn't sound right. Like, I still make time to to spend with my wife, just, just to clarify. But here's the thing. We make time for what we're most passionate for. If you're a fisherman, you'll, make, you'll find time to fish, right? If you're a musician, you'll find time to listen to music and to practice music. Whatever you're passionate for, you will find time for. So if you're not reading your Bible, there's only one reason why. You're not passionate enough for the Bible, So I'm not just asking you this morning, read the Bible. I'm saying, uh, pray and say, God, give me a burning passion for it. Long for it. Because if you just say, oh, okay, I'm just going to read it tomorrow. And you'll read it a couple days, maybe because I made you feel guilty today, right? But if you don't long for it, it will not stick. And that means you will not grow. Friends, this is a fight for desire. We don't see enough spiritual growth amongst Christians today. And let me get a little closer to where you're at. We don't see enough spiritual growth in this church. I love you so much. And I'm not saying this is true for every person, okay? You know who you are, right? And and it's many. I'm not singling out anybody. And I even look at my own life at times and say, hey, we're not growing quickly enough, consistently enough. Can we all be honest and say, yeah, that's tough preaching, but it's true? And you know why that is, I believe? Because we're ruining, ruining our appetite on junk food. We are. It's interesting. The people who tell me they can't find time for, uh, for the Bible can binge watch show upon show on Netflix. And we wonder why we're not growing spiritually. Because it's a diet of junk food, and it's ruining your appetite for the things of God. In closing, as our band comes, let me ask you this. Are you familiar with the old adage, you are what you eat? How many remember that? How many know that's true? Like if you eat junk food, you're going to feel like what? Junk food, right? If you have, eat a lot of donuts, you're going to look like probably a donut, right? <laughs> if you drink a six-pack, though, you will not have a six-pack, all right? There are exceptions to this rule. So, so don't take this com- completely as true. Um, here's the point, though, of, of this, and, and, I, and it is true, that you want to grow physically, you've got to eat the right foods. 
It's interesting in the gym. We've had, you know, in the past people that I've worked out with who are just great in the gym, right? Like they're there sometimes hours a day. Some of them, I remember guys that come in twice a day, cardio in the morning, weights at night, or vice versa. And they they get frustrated because they say, man, I'm putting all this time in, but I'm not growing. Like they're wanting to, you know, drop fat and they're wanting to build muscle. They say, I'm not growing. But if you are in this kind of exercise world, you know this is pretty common knowledge that health is really 80% diet and 20% exercise. That's about the ratio. If you want to see results, it's 80% diet. You just can't, you know, you you just can't work hard enough to work off a, a dozen donuts. You just can't do it. You, you can't work the L8 off and the beer cheese and the hot browns and the, you just can't do it. All right? It's the same way spiritually, folks. It's the same way spiritually. You are what you eat. I'm not here to be legalistic and tell you that you can never watch a TV show, but I would just say be careful what you're feeding your mind with. When you're watching that for three hours a day and spending and you're just reading like a verse of the day, like, okay, I'll do one verse and then I'll watch a complete series on Netflix. Man, I can't figure out why I'm not growing spiritually. Like, I'll go to church once a month, right? Like, what? I don't understand. No. It's a daily diet of eating the right things. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.